Do you have to comply with vaccine mandates if your company or organization is mandating them? You'll find the answer to that question and answers to other questions here on the Mark Harrington Show. So stay tuned. You're listening to Activist Radio on the Mark Harrington Show, and you can find out more about our mission by going to createdequal.org. Today on the program, we're going to be talking about vaccine mandates with Rob Muse. Rob is senior counsel and co-founder of the American Freedom Law Center. We're going to try to cover a lot of ground here today. Uh, A lot of you folks would be wondering, why is a pro-life activist talking about vaccine mandates? Well, there's two reasons. First of all, the vaccines uh, at some level or another were all derived, at least the ones that are part of the Operation Warp Speed, uh, the ones that are online right now, were derived using aborted fetal cells. So that involves the abortion issue and your radioactivist is on the front line of those things. Plus, it's an issue of free speech, and we want to talk about that here on the program because these mandates are now coming online. Uh, whether you work for a company, organization, we're seeing that with uh, government as well. And so there are a lot of folks that are asking questions about this, and they're calling me and asking me, and I don't know a whole lot. I'm, a, I'm not an attorney, although I play one on social media every once in a while. That's a joke. Anyway, I've got Rob Muse here today to try to navigate this. Uh, We're also going to try to fit in a little bit of commentary on the Texas heartbeat bill or law. And if we get time, we'll talk about the Dobbs case that will be heard by the U.S. Supreme Court coming up either this fall or in the spring. So, Rob, thanks thanks for being on the program today. Hey, Mark. It's great to be with you. Good to see you again, buddy. It is good to see you, man. I mean, uh, (laughs) We've had this uh, case before. Uh, well, I don't know the, 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 this Detroit case, where now almost two years ago I was arrested in Detroit at the uh, Democrat National Conventions. Uh, there was a, a debate there with the Democrats, and I was arrested. And Rob, Rob is representing us. Maybe if we get time, we can talk about that. But Rob's been a good friend and defending religious freedom and pro-life activists like myself. For many, many years, and we're very, 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 very uh, thankful that he's uh, on the front lines. But so, Rob, let's jump right in here. Uh, I, you know, we're, we're I, now. Reasons, I want to make one comment, though, Mark. Yeah, go ahead, man. The guy who's on the front lines is is you, right? That's the thing I, I tell people all the time. Is like, look, I'm just an advocate for people like you, right? You're the guys that are in the trenches. You're the guys that are doing the fighting. You know, I can't do what I do if I don't have clients. If I don't have people who are willing to exercise their, you know, their First Amendment rights, their right to the free exercise of religion. So without guys like you, there's nothing that I can do. So I just want to be clear. You're the guy that's in the trench and I'm All the right. guy that's just trying to provide you legal support for the work right. you're doing. So I just want to make that well, very sure clear. And I, we, and we I want your listeners and viewers to know that. We definitely keep you busy. <laughs> I, I try to keep you out of things if I can. I mean, I, I learn as much as I can to be dangerous when it comes to the legal issues. But we're very thankful for the support that you've provided us and created Equal here for many, many years. And so, Rob, the reason I brought you on here is, you know, I have a mutual friend that's in the U.S. military that is dealing with this question of vaccine mandates. 
uh, when the federal government, when Biden handed it down and told the military that they were going to mandate vaccines, he called me and I'm like, well, I, you know, I don't know. Is there a, is there some kind of accommodation or exemption? I turned them over to you and I'm, I'm certain that, and as you've told me that there are many people in the U S military that are, uh, dealing with this and some of them have contacted you. So I guess the place to start out is, um, is there a difference between the mandates that are being handed down by private employers as opposed to government mandates? Because I think that's important that we distinguish the difference. Yeah, no, that's it's a very important distinction. And, and this goes to Constitutional Law 101. Um, a, a private actor cannot violate your constitutional rights. You have to have what's called state action. So it has to be a government employer. So, for example, you know, here in Michigan, I've been working a lot with uh, people at the uh, students and employees at the University of Michigan, which had a mandate. University of Michigan is a state school. So they are a government actor. So they are subject to the U.S. Constitution. If you work for like another issue we had here, St. Joseph's Hospital, which is a private employer and they're mandating the uh, vaccine, you don't have any constitutional rights vis-a-vis them. You know, we see it all the time. Somebody say, well, I was, you know, I wanted to, you know, distribute literature at a Walmart and they told me I couldn't. It violates my constitutional rights. No, it doesn't. You don't have any constitutional rights vis-a-vis a private actor. It has to be the government that's involved with this. So for example, like the military, obviously you also have a government employer there. I mean, directly it's the federal government that's, uh, that's enforcing. So that's important because if you, if you have a private employer who's imposing on this, all the protections you have are the protections you would have as a as a private employee, and and that gets into statutory law. It gets into local law. Most of those cases, I defer to somebody who you, you should seek an attorney who does employment law in your jurisdiction. Now there are two mm-hmm. federal statutes that might provide you some protection. One is Title Seven. Title Seven uh, applies to private employers of a certain a certain size. Most every state has their state uh, companion or you know counterpart to Title VII if you have a religious objection. But that Title VII will give you only an accommodation. It doesn't necessarily give you an exemption. So, for example, you might, you might seek a religious accommodation to the vaccine because you object to it on, uh, on the grounds that, as you indicated, all the current COVID-19 vaccines were either produced or tested or manufactured in some way using uh, fetal lines from aborted fetuses. And so you certainly could have a conscientious objection to that. And then what's the accommodation for that? Maybe the accommodation is you have to do weekly testing or you might have to wear a mask or some other things. And you would see that also in the free exercise. So if you have a private employer, um, talk to them about a Title VII exemption. Go to your, your HR department. They're usually the ones that can initiate that process for Title VII. If you have a medical objection to it, right? You, there might be, you might be susceptible to vaccines for whatever reason. You have allergies to them. You might be in a, in a, you know, you might have some autoimmune issues. I'm a, I'm not a doctor, nor do I play one on social media, but you need this, but there's a potential under the ADA Americans with disabilities act to get a medical accommodation for that. And, but again, then there might be state law protections, but those, again, I would recommend that you see, seek out an attorney who does employment law in your jurisdiction. Okay. So when, when we're talking about uh, private employers, we're talking about an accommodation. That's, there's a difference between that and exemption. Is that what you're saying? Well, you you could get it. Like, let me just give you an example. I know there's been cases on a title seven where people work for, you know, um, uh, people, especially Catholics that I've known, they work for a pharmacy, right? A private pharmacy. 
and they don't want to, they didn't want to distribute the RU486 abortion right. pill. And mm -hmm. there's been some cases where that was granted as an accommodation because it wasn't an undue hardship because at the time RU486 wasn't that prevalent. But if that same, uh, that same, um, you know, uh, pharmacist objects to distributing contraception in general, it's likely he's not going to get an accommodation because so much of their, of the work that CVS and everything does, it would create an undue burden on, on the pharmacy. And even to get an accommodation for that, whether you have to hire somebody else to come in here. So you don't have, you don't have any constitutional right to a job with a private employer, right? So it's whatever statutory protection and then whatever accommodation they can provide that doesn't create an undue burden, you know, for the employer. And if there isn't one, then, uh, then you're likely going to, you know, lose and, and look at your employment contract too. Cause for example, and even though university of Michigan is a, uh, is a government employer, the nurses apparently, because they're unionized, had a union contract, and there are many union, you know, many private uh, employers who have unions, and they had a provision in their in their uh, in, in contract, the collective bargaining agreement, where they were they weren't required to get vaccines. So there so might be some contract. What would your recommendation be? Because I get this, and you're getting it. Yeah. Private employer says we're going to mandate the vaccine. What do you suggest they do? Because I've had the phone call, and I'm like, well, are yeah. they providing some kind of accommodation or exemption? That's yeah. The first thing uh, I would do, is, how would you, what would you do to walk them through the process of what, how they can handle it if they don't want to take it? Yeah. The first thing they would do is, you know, go to your, your human resources department, because they're the ones that typically deal with um, granting accommodations under title seven or the ADA. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if, if there, if there isn't something, if you don't get a, you know, a straight answer that, that you're, you know, satisfied with, then you need to seek an attorney who does employment law in that jurisdiction to help you work through the wickets of getting an accommodation either under Title VII for religious reasons or under the ADA for health reasons or whatever state contra, you know, counterpart that might be because the law is going to be different in Pennsylvania, Michigan, or Ohio. That's why you need an attorney who does employment law in your jurisdiction. Okay. But I would do your human resources department first and foremost okay. because they may have a process already in place for that. A lot of them are developing them. Are most companies providing for that right now? For some kind of exemption or accommodation for their employees. Well, it, it's it's uh, it's kind of a, it's kind of a hit or miss. Uh, and okay. and uh, and the one thing that's interesting, and I'll, I'll talk about the University of Michigan because that's the one I've been dealing with the the most. I mean, probably right. you know half dozen or so in this the school situation. Both those who are employees of the university and those who are um, who are students. The employees would have protection under those statutes, the Title VII ADA. But because it's also a government actor, they also have protection under the First Amendment. All the students have protection under the First Amendment. Every one of the religious exemption requests that I have assisted with, with these students, and there's been you know six to ten of them, have all been granted by the University of Michigan. Okay. Um, the the people who have sought health exemptions have, by and large, been denied, which is kind really? of interesting. But they're they're in a they're in the University of Michigan is kind of in a tough position because they've. They because of their they have the collective bargaining agreement with the nurses, so they are allowed. They have a secular exemption. So just kind of spilling over into the free exercise part, um, there was a law. There was a, a, a case in 1990 called Employment Division versus Smith, which and Scalia drafted it. It's one of the worst opinions in the Supreme Court, in my view, where it totally undermined the free exercise clause. So if a law is a neutral law of general applicability, that's kind of the legal language. Um, even if it substantially burdens religious exercise, the government only has to satisfy rational basis, the lowest level of review. They win that all the time. 
if it's not a neutral law of general applicability, and that's typically if there's been some exemptions that are offered for secular reasons, then they have to provide a similar exemption for religious reasons. And if they don't, they have to satisfy strict scrutiny, which is the highest level of, of scrutiny, and they tend to lose. So when you have when you have a government employer that has provided some exemptions, in, in my view, even uh, like a health exemption is a uh, to me is, is one that should trigger strict scrutiny. Because, for example, people of faith like you and me, you know, the, protecting our soul is far more important, important than protecting our physical bodies. Mm-hmm. If you have somebody who, who medically can't take the vaccine, right, but and they're, they're this, they create the same sort of harm in, in terms of, you know, they could get infected, they can infect somebody else as somebody who has a religious objection, the government has to have a compelling reason narrowly tailored as to why they don't extend that for religious reasons. And the re- Supreme Court recently decided that case Fulton where city of Philadelphia, where they held that they violated the um, Catholic social services, free exercise rights, because they refused to um, certify uh, same-sex couples for adoption. And that's a very good case. To me, it, it breathed more life back into the free exercise clause and that's 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 really what we're going to be dealing with on the uh, you know okay. and for a government employer. And, so and to summarize not, here, not without free getting can be free exercise. Free exercise is the issue is the point you're going to be looking at. All right. So to, to summarize, I mean, if you are a government employee, for for example, if you're with the U.S. military, the federal government, you have more leverage because of the First Amendment than you do if you're a, a private employee who doesn't have that same protection with a private company. But you do have some way of addressing as you've mentioned before uh my son is likely going to be going to the ohio state university which i know you love up there i, mean, I know you're not a michigan fan but you do yeah. uh, up there in michigan you don't like them but uh he, he's likely to go to ohio state and they're already mandating the vaccine here um and so we're looking at the possibility of having to file one of the ex- exemptions but l- let me get to a different question and that is a lot of people don't want to do either I mean, if they're if, if they're employed by the federal government, they say they don't need they shouldn't have to file any one of these because it, it lends credence to the idea or notion of vaccine mandates, which they disagree with altogether. How do you respond to them? Because there is a conscience issue as well as to whether I will even want to play along in this game. Uh, you, you sent me an article by Dr. Monica Miller t- talking about the theological issues regarding the, the mandates. Uh, I mean, there's just a conscience issue altogether as to whether we should even play along with this, right? I mean, yeah, I'm sure you've dealt with some people like that. How do you handle mm-hmm. that one? I mean, if if they just say, no, I'm not going to fill out this form. No, I'm not going to deal with the you know HR department. I'm not going to go to the university and try to get an, a, an exemption. I just disagree altogether. I think it's a fraud. The whole thing's a, yes, it's whatever, because uh, there are a lot of folks like that out there. No, I, I agree. And and the argument you're making is the, is the question of whether or not this violates, you know, a fundamental liberty interest above and mm-hmm. beyond just free exercise. Exactly. How is it that the government could have this authority to, you know, force us to, you know, put in our bodies what really is an experimental, you know, vaccine? Exactly. I mean, it is. The CDC even says it's right. experimental and they, this mRNA technology is new. Um, and we don't know the long term, never mind the, you know, the midterm or the long term effects of this vaccine. And the, the more we're seeing, we're seeing that there are some you know, adverse effects with it. But it gets to the very point of why can the government even mandate this from the very beginning, right? Exactly. And that's, and unfortunately, and this is going to take the Supreme Court to step in, 
There was a case that was decided by the Supreme Court in 1905, Jacobson versus the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. 1905, bear in mind. And this is a case that we keep seeing raising its, rearing its ugly head in all these challenges that, that I've been involved in, whether challenging mask mandates, contact tracing mandates, all these Orwellian programs mm-hmm. that, you know, apparently the left never, you know, they don't let a good crisis go to waste. They like to right. impose their, their will upon us. But in that case, the Supreme Court upheld against a due process challenge, a Massachusetts law that mandated the smallpox vaccine under under penalty of, of a criminal penalty, a criminal fine for everybody. Weren't, mm-hmm. There weren't any exemptions or exceptions or anything. And that was upheld. We see that case time and time again. But when the Supreme Court kind of flipped over a little bit, when Amy Coney Barrett was put on, we're starting to see the Supreme Court now pushing back against, like we saw that, you know, in California and these other, you know, lockdown orders, Whereas in before they were relying on Jacobson saying, look, you know, this is all part of public health and so forth. Justice Gorsuch and Alito and others have made very clear in their concurring opinions that Jacobson isn't this super precedent that should control, you know, all these uh, restrictions. And the thing about Jacobson, Jacobson was cited in 1905, right? Since then, we've had a lot of Supreme Court, uh, you know, jurisprudence right. develop, particularly in bodily auto- autonomy. So do you, the right do you to believe privacy. that the U.S. Supreme Court's going to going to settle this? Once and for all soon. I mean, is there a case right now that's going up to the court? Well, the Indiana University case, because that's a case where, for example, you had I think there was eight students that sued. Jim Bob's handling that. And Jim Bob's is a very is a very competent lawyer. I think he's general counsel for National Right to Life. He's been around the block many, many times. He filed a for a preliminary injunction in, in federal court in Indiana. Trying to enjoin the Indiana University uh, mandate, he lost. It was a Trump judge that ruled there, relying principally on the Jacobson case. Um, they appealed that to the Seventh Circuit and sought an emergency injunction um, through a three-judge panel. They denied that. It was Judge Easterbrook relying principally on Jacobson, and then they sought an emergency petition to a single justice, which happened to be Amy Coney Barrett, and she denied it without any, <laughs> just denied it straight up. Uh, but that that is. That initial denial is not a, none of these rulings are rulings on the merits. And I okay. think the court, the way the court has been signaling in, in their concurrences in these other cases, which didn't deal with vaccine mandates, but dealt with lockdowns and, and you know, closing churches, but keeping private entities open and so forth. They've signaled that they, they have grave concern about this of where Jacobson should stand today. Okay. And unfortunately, when you're challenging this directly, like your argument, just playing up on substantive due process, liberty interests, it hasn't been success. Nothing, no, no major success yet. Um, okay. And that's, you know, that's, uh, there was a TRO that was this, just into, issued in the Western District of Michigan, um, where there was a mandate, there was a bunch of uh, athletes that were objecting to it. And that was actually granted. But again, these are preliminary rulings. I think it's going to take the Supreme Court to ultimately get rid of Jacobson. Uh, and okay. I hope it does. All right. My guest today is uh, Robert Muse, and he is co-founder and senior counsel at the American Freedom Law Center, and you can find out more about their work by going to AmericanFreedomLawCenter.org. And folks, if you're listening to this program, either on my podcast or over the air on American Family Radio and other stations across America, uh, you can support the work by simply going and liking the page on my YouTube page or leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play. Uh, That way, more people get to hear the program. And if you're interested in supporting our work financially, you can go to createdequal.org 
just click on the donate link and uh, that will help us continue the program as well as our activism on college campuses. Uh, we have a few minutes left here, Rob, and I, I kind of want to get to these cases without getting too deep in the weeds. But we've had the heartbeat bill law uh, put into effect in Texas. I'd like to get your take on that real quick. And if we have times, I'd like to get your you know pronostication regarding the Hobbs case that the U.S. Supreme Court is going to hear. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Harpy uh, law, uh, uh, that the idea that this whole right of private action, that individual citizens can sue the abortionists and those who aid and abet an abortion? Uh, yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I like that approach. And it's interesting, you know, I, you hear and I think Biden was you know, saying that this is some sort of, you know, uh, circumventing of the law and so forth. Right. I guarantee I can tell you in California, there are tons of statutes like this. They have they they typically call them private attorney general actions. And, you know, the the plaintiff's bar loves them. You can enforce the civil rights provisions in California by bringing a private cause of action in court. It's no different. This is, there's nothing novel about this. I think it's okay. uh, and, and other than it being novel and going after the uh, the uh, you know abortion in its in its sites. Right. And and I think it would actually I like the approach um, because it it does empower more people to put it you know to take it into their own hands to try to you know to remedy the harm of abortion. But the Do you very think it'll idea hold that, up. Well, and here's the interesting <laughs> thing, because th this isn't going to be the case. The Dobbs case is the one that's going to really. Right. And kind of blending over into that, the Dobbs case, and we filed a brief in the Supreme Court, uh, a friend of the court brief on behalf of Priests for Life, um, urging that the court reverse Roe. And I think this is the opportunity for it to do so. Right. It had an opportunity in 1992 in the Casey case. It punted on that. But the, the question, here's the question that was presented. Right. There were multiple questions presented. This is the one where review was granted. That means at least four justices had to grant review whether all pre-viability prohibitions on elective abortions are unconstitutional. Why would they take that up? Right. You had to have at least right. four if they if they weren't going to do something profound. Right. You don't just take that up and just say, yeah, they're all unconstitutional. Right. There's there's something that's in the works here in in Dobbs. And I think what you saw in the Texas case uh, which really, at the end of the day, you know, they 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 sued the wrong people. They sued the attorney general and others who don't have any enforcement action. So that was really what that was all about. It wasn't anything on the merits that the Supreme Court did. But what was interesting was the scree from the dissenters, right? Because they realized that Dobbs is coming down, and they're pumping the prime. You know, they're priming priming the pump. You know, mm -hmm. for for what will be to me a case that could go substantively to the abortion. So how how Dobbs falls out. I think we'll have then a fallout effect of what's going to happen with this Texas, this Harpy bill. But Dobbs is a, that's the case to watch in my right. view. And I think there's an opportunity to reverse row there. And and if they reverse row, what will likely happen is going to go to the States. Right. And so you're going to have States like New York and California, which are going to be the, you know, they're going to be the, the abortion meccas, but then you have other places. I know Michigan has a very strong action against it. And that's why in particular, the work of the grassroots guys on the ground, because you're going to have even a, a bigger impact on local legislatures and public policy and so forth to change the hearts and minds of those in, you know, the, at the lower level jurisdiction. So keep your eye on Dobbs. And if you're going to pray for something, pray for that. Pray for justices with backbone that we finally remedy this injustice of Roe versus Wade. So in your friend of a court brief that you gave to the U.S. Supreme Court, you called for the overturning of Roe v. Wade. I, I don't want to, I, I guess I'm going to put you on the spot. 
What do you think the odds of that happening? Because we're all anticipating the opportunity Mm -hmm. that that will happen. We're we're getting ready for it here in the States. We're ready in Ohio if it happens. What do you think the odds are that it's going to take place? Other than 1992, in my lifetime, this is the best opportunity we've had. Um, and I think, uh, and, and think about this, if Amy Coney Barrett, who by the way, was my classmate at Notre Dame, I know her well, she was on Law Review. She's, she's okay. been disappointing me so far. I got to admit that, but this could be, you know, this could she be. She hasn't disappointed shiny. you or she, she has, <laughs> she has really, well, I mean, she yeah. didn't in this Texas situation. No, but that's, but that really didn't have anything. It's just procedural. Sub- yeah. Substance. But think about here. You have the woman who's a mother of seven. Um, you know, has disabled child writing this opinion for the court. I, this, to me, this was, this is, was her calling. Cause I know she's super smart, super pro-life. And if she can be the one that can author this opinion, again, having it come from a woman, I think is, you know, for optics and everything else is important. Right. I think this is uh this is it. So keep that firmly in your prayers. Amen. Again, my guest today is uh, Rob Muse, and he is the co-founder and senior counsel at the American Freedom Law Center. And you can find out more by going to AmericanFreedomLawCenter.org. We've been talking about vaccine mandates. Hopefully that's been helpful. If you have any further questions, feel free to go to my page at uh, my website at MarkHarringtonShow.com and email me and I'll forward them on to, to Rob. Rob, we appreciate your work defending people like myself. I will try to keep you uh, out of most of the problems I get into, but when I do, I know I have a friend I can call, so we appreciate all you do. And folks, I exhort you to support the American Freedom Law Center financially if you're able. We'll see you next time. God bless you. God bless America. And remember, America, to bless God. You've been listening to Mark Harrington, your radio activist. For more information on how to make a difference for the cause of life, liberty, and justice, go to createdequal.org. To follow Mark, go to markharringtonshow.com. Be sure to tune in next time for your marching orders in the culture war.